Fab Lab Podcast. Questions equal closed sales. Welcome to the Fab Lab, the stone industry's only podcast dedicated exclusively to the business side of your stone shop, where we focus on improving operations inside the business so we can experience more life outside of it. So let's get down to business. Welcome back to another episode of the Fab Lab Podcast. I am your host here in 2020 with my co-host, Wesley Rice. Happy New Year, Aaron. Happy New Year to you, too. I'll be honest with you. I'm excited about this year. It's going to be a great year, and it's great to be back, and I think a lot of good stuff on the horizon. Uh, it's, we got a whole lot in store for the Fab Lab Podcast for 2020. It is going to be fun. So let's get right into this. Even though we finished the last episode of 2019 last week, the actual last episode of this series is going to happen today. We're going to talk about sales presentations. We've been on the topic, up on the discussion, on this theme, on this series of sales. If you started out talking about follow-up, we backed up, talked about qualifying. Today, we're going to talk about the subject of sales presentations and actually differentiating yourself from your competition. How do you accomplish that? And so that's our topic today. And we do that technique I learned from a master salesperson, questions-based selling. And so that's the title today, questions equal closed sales. So we're going to talk about how to craft a questions-based sales presentation. Before we do, I want to mention a word about AaronCrowley.com. You can connect with me at any point. If you listen to an episode, you hear a topic that we discussed, you've got a question that's bugging you or is burning in your mind, you can go to AaronCrowley.com, check out the connect button right there in the middle of the page underneath my gloriously smiling face on the homepage. Click the button that says email Aaron. You can send me a note. I invite you with any question that you've got. Please feel free Please feel comfortable with reaching out. Would love to hear from you. Would love to connect with you. So now I want to mention a word from our sponsor, the Stone Fabricators Alliance, commonly referred to as the SFA, one of the key sponsors of the Fab Lab podcast. Wes, what is the testimony we're going to read today? Yeah, we got one right here, and there's a couple great points this guy makes. Number one is friends. I was looking through my contacts and my phone last week and realized that 25% are SFA members. I can tell you at any time I can ask questions or, and get caught up with them. And the parties that they host are pretty good too. <laughs> he also goes on to say the knowledge. Only being in the industry for four and a half years, there's so much that I have not been exposed to yet. Members are always willing to share their experiences so that others don't have to make the same mistakes. And lastly, he talks about deals. Many of the sponsors give SFA discounts. And who doesn't like saving money? Hubba, hubba, hubba. Three things. Friends, knowledge, and discounts. So, you know, when you, when you hear those three words, Wes, friends, knowledge, and discounts, that, that's all predicated on the, the, what makes the SFA so unique, the relationship-building aspect of it, the fact that this is a community of peer-to-peer fellow fabricators building relationships. Relationships are built on trust. They are built on mutual respect. And, and even though a lot of times those relationships span the country, they're not necessarily in your same locale, which is actually one of the other advantages of it. The relationship aspect, when, when 25% of your friends are SFA members, that says a lot about this community. And ladies and gentlemen, fans of the Fab Lab podcast, if you're not a member of the SFA yet, you need to consider it. 
their web forum, their Facebook group, and this community, this, 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 this vibrant, thriving, and growing community of fellow stone shop owners and fabricators and installers. You don't have to be an owner or a manager to be a member of the SFA. It is an absolutely fantastic community where there is friendship, where there is knowledge that is shared, and there's discounts. There's, there's financial advantages to being a member of the SFA. So if you haven't considered that, visit StoneFabricatorsAlliance.com and consider joining today. So now back to our episode, back to our topic, back to this theme, this discussion about sales presentations. Really at the essence of this, you know, in, in this day and age, granite and quartz countertops have in a lot of ways become a commodity. So you're competing, in a sense, for the consumer's decision. They, they have to choose. Typically, they're going to be getting multiple quotes. What is it about your company? How do you go about differentiating your business from the next fabricator who's calling on that remodeling contractor, who's calling on that homeowner for the countertop replacement, who's calling on that builder to try and gain that business. How do we differentiate us so that that client, that prospect, that builder, that remodeler is more likely to actually buy from us? That's the essence of our conversation today is, is, is conveying value. A sales presentation isn't just a practice. Well, it's best practices, so I guess I ought to come up with a sales presentation. What in the heck is a sales presentation? That's not The point isn't to have a sales presentation. The point is to convey information that differentiates you from your competitors. And you give them a reason, an active, purposeful reason to go, oh, that's why I am choosing to do business with you. So we're going to talk about that today. How do we convey that value? We've discovered, and it's interesting, speaking of a community of other fabricators, oh, years ago, probably 2011, 2012, I don't think it was 2013, I spoke at, a, at another trade association's a, a, a regional event, and I got to talking to a fabricator, he was from the Midwest, we got to talking about this topic, and I ended up sharing our sales presentation, we call it the Eight Standards of Excellence, uh, he was the general manager of this company that was at this uh, event, and so I gave him a copy of our our, our sales presentation, we call it the eight standards of excellence, and it's eight questions followed by the eight statements that differentiate us in our market. Anyway, I got to meet the owner of that company like three months ago. He came out here and he visited. We were at another event, and he actually came and visited our shop, and he said, he, he wondered if I had remembered this, but he said to this day, six, seven years later, to this day, they still use that scripted sales presentation. They modified it to fit their business because they have a different market and a different customer base, but they they still to this day, and I had for, completely forgotten about that. The gentleman that I sent it to no, no longer works there, but somehow that transcended Continued on. That, that time and those, those relationships, and I, I was just stunned by that. So I wanted to share that today on the Fab Lab podcast and just make this information available because not only did it have a profound impact on their business still in use today, it radically transformed our business as well. And so we just want to share that today. And, and we're going to talk about this in the form of you know, questions equals closed sales. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's just set the stage. A sales presentation assumes you are in front of the customer. And it's a pretty common experience that whether it's a contractor, you're showing up on their job site to bid the job, or maybe you're meeting them in their office, a builder, you're at their showroom, a homeowner, you're in their kitchen. They're inviting people to come in and bid on the work. And so you're oftentimes one of probably three or not four. Yeah. People. And if and if it's a big account, you might be one of 20 people lined up outside mm -hmm. the door knocking on their 
you know, purchasing manager's door to try and earn that business. So, so the fact is, you are, a couple of things are true here. You are one of a few, maybe one of many people vying for that business. And number two, you are in front of a decision maker. So the question is, is how are you in that scenario? How do you actively purposefully plan to make the biggest impression on that person in that limited amount of time that you've got? Because I'm guessing the tendency for a lot of guys is to show up and just start going through the information, a dump load of information on somebody. Yeah. And as a customer who has to receive that and digest all that information, I'm guessing probably like 10, 20% of it might actually be retained. Yep. Uh, and part of it might not be information, part of that information given might not be relative to them too. Yeah. So that's asking questions. It's a great way to start. Yeah, and I think that's one type of, in a sense, competitor you, you know, scenario, a deluge of information where the customer just is just completely bombarded and overwhelmed. Or you've got the other end of the spectrum where there's no information. They show up. I've heard this many times at the retail level. You know, we had a couple of guys. They showed up. They took dimensions. In 10 minutes, they were gone. And maybe we got a quote from them. <laughs> in some cases, maybe we didn't. So you've got those two extremes. The space in between those is where the most opportunity lies for a fabricator to, you know, intentionally craft questions that makes that information a lot more likely to stick in the mind of that decision maker. Because you could have, say you got three fabricators and every single one templates the same way, fabricates the same way and installs the same way. Right. You know that customer doesn't know that. So if you're able to articulate those how you do things and at, at, and engage in a dialogue with that customer, all of a sudden you, customers looking at those three quotes. Yeah, you look very favorable. Well, and 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 the the, the risk here is the is to, to kind of continue that theme. If your price is the same, mm-hmm. and your presentation is the same, you've given them nothing. You you you're inseparable. There's no way for them to differentiate. Are they going to flip a coin? Are they going to spin a dial on the wall? And you know, I've got three quotes. They're all the same. That they acted the same. They told me the same thing. The price is the same. How do I choose? So either way, being thoughtful about this and showing up with the intention of conveying, actively, purposefully conveying what it is that makes you unique and why they should choose you. Because all things being the same. If you're the one that actually has a well-crafted sales presentation, the likelihood of you getting that business goes up a lot. Because if the customer is going to the point where they have a sales presentation, that means they're looking for information, they're doing homework, mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure out what's the best option. Yeah. And if you're in this business, you know the answers to all the homework they're working on. So instead of having them solve that problem, solve it for them and present yep. it to them yep. and make them connect the dots and make those dots connect to you yep. to get that job. Yep. And, in, and in both cases, whether you're working with a retail homeowner who, in a sense, is gathering information and, and learning along the way, or you've got a remodeling contractor who, who in a sense, knows the industry and kind of has the, a sense of it, but still isn't, isn't as deep into it, they still could have done hundreds of countertops over the course of their career and still not know that there are things that differentiate one fabricator from another. Or that, that differentiates you from everybody else they've ever worked with. And so if, if those two clientele, those two prospects have taken the time to open their door, the homeowner lets you in their kitchen, the remodeling contractor, the builder, to actually make time on their calendar to meet with you, golden opportunity to differentiate yourself and to increase greatly the likelihood that you're going to earn that, that business. And so, so what is a questions-based sales presentation? 
Well, let, let, it, it, let, let me. <clears throat> wow, that might make the record for the longest stutter. I made the mistake of picking up my notes here, and I think to that point, ladies and gentlemen, we have discovered on the Fab Lab podcast that when we have a general topic and we just talk about it and we sit down and record. It never goes very well. It just it's disjointed. We don't make the points we want to make. But when we stop long enough and we outline the message that we want to convey, what is the value that we want to convey to the audience? We don't want to just waste time. We're not just here to take up space or to hear ourselves talk. We've got lots of things to do. There's, we want to convey value. And we've discovered that there is an approach when we outline the episode, when we think through it, when we talk through it, and we say, hey, this is a great point that we need to make, or hey, you know, this is something that we need to consider making, you know, going into greater detail with, it makes for a better outcome. Same thing is true for a sales presentation. When you stop long enough to plan what it is you're going to say during that sales presentation, it just, it just magnifies and multiplies that opportunity. And so, I got a question for you. Say you have an owner or a salesman and he's got 10, 15, 20 years of experience. And he's like, I know this inside and out. Mm. I'm just going to wing it. I'm going to do great. I ain't worried about it. This is this is a waste of time. What, what would you say to someone listening who might be thinking that? Not uncommon with uh, highly qualified salespeople or, or highly experienced salespeople. I, I would say... This is the same question we get all the time about the less chaos, more cash, when you're talking about methodologies and, and, and practices in the shop or out in the field or saying, hey, this is how I want this done. You run into this same scenario. Um, it, it, it is an incontrovertible fact that if you convey the value, you're going to increase the likelihood. And so as an owner, I would say, salesperson, you don't get, the, you don't get to decide what it is you tell the customer. If I have learned something new that I want to implement in my business, Let's do it and let's test the results and see which is more effective. So we want to talk about questions. What is questions-based selling? Well, it, it, it essentially is deviating from the tendency that highly qualified salesmen might be inclined because they know so much, they have so much information, they've done it so long, to get on site and just overwhelm the customer. That, that, that is a risk. So that's where having questions that precede those value propositions is so important. We really have to start with this basic understanding, the difference between closed-ended questions and open-ended questions, because this is the difference between success or failure as it relates to this topic. A closed-ended question has a yes or no answer. The conversation ends as soon as they answer it, in a sense. An open-ended question invites, or in a sense, requires a thoughtful response from the customer. There's no wiggling out of an open-ended question. So here's what I mean. A homeowner's in your showroom, they're wanting countertops. So here's a closed-ended question. Have you visited a slab supplier? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. So here's an open-ended question on the same topic. How comfortable are you shopping for your own material? And, and, and see, if they answer with no or even yes, it in a sense shuts down. It's, it's, you asked the question, I answered it. Okay, now where do we go from here? An open-ended question, and this is the ultimate point here. The purpose of this is not only to help you convey the value, which we're going to talk about, it is to then engage them, engage them. Because if you just start an, a closed-ended question followed by information does, doesn't engage as well as an open-ended question. How comfortable are you shopping and selecting your own material? They have to stop and think about that. They can't just, yes or no, I just want to get a price, I want to get my price and get out of here. No, an open-ended question requires a response requires them to think. And if they have to think, 
now you're engaged. You are now in a conversation with that client. And so depending on how they answer, gosh, you know, come to think of it, I'm kind of nervous about that. That could be an answer. Anyway, that open-ended question creates a lot more space for you to now develop a, a, a conversation that is engaging with them. And, and the point here is for you to convey information that is of usefulness to them, that they value, that helps you to differentiate yourself so that when they come to making that decision, they remember a conversation that is, is open-ended questions, they're engaged. They have to dialogue with you, which makes, now they're, okay, I'm engaged. I, I've answered, now what are you going to tell me? Because obviously you just asked me a question about something I hadn't really thought about yet. Come to think of it, no, I'm actually not that comfortable shopping or whatever it could be. So that's an open-ended question. When you're talking about questions-based selling, all of your questions have to be open. Or that's the goal. If you craft these questions in an open-ended manner, you are going to greatly increase the engagement of that customer. And you're going to increase the likelihood, if it's a homeowner who then goes home to tell, you know, if it's, if it's a guy in there shopping for his wife, he's got to take that information back and then communicate it to his wife, vice versa. Open-ended questions dramatically increases the likelihood that they're going to retain the information that you then sent, that you then share with them after that question. And so, closed-ended question, yes or no. Open-ended question invites a conversation. Engagement is what is the result of that, increasing the likelihood that you're going to actually retain that information that you're going to share instead of overwhelming them, overload, tune out. They can only digest so much information if it's just an onslaught and then they retain, like you said, 10 to 15% of it. They get back home and go, yeah, the guy talked a lot. <laughs> I don't know what he said. Because a, a major part is most people get countertops once in their life. Mm-hmm. And so that whole frontier is completely new to them. Yep. And everyone knows that, but it's very easy to glance over that when you're mm-hmm. talking to the person and use terms. Yep. And But if you get that conversation going, they're going to be receiving it well because chances are they're going to let that information simmer yep and they're gonna remember it especially when they look at the other mm-hmm. quotes they got like oh wait this individual spent time with me we had a good conversation had yeah. some laughs or whatever i remember yeah. more of it i feel more comfortable with them yep exactly and the same thing can be true just slightly different if you're talking to a remodeling contractor if you're talking to a builder someone you're trying to earn their business they've probably heard a lot of people come in and talk to them about countertops and how they have the best price yeah that's a pretty common differentiating factor in that realm I've heard it before. You got the you know the best price. You know you got samples, whatever. But if you have thought through this and and you have done the homework to understand what it is that they value, you know what it is they value, and then you engage them in a conversation that involves them as opposed to you just dumping information in their lap. This is going to work on both on both sides. In both scenarios, this is going to be a very effective way of conveying what it is that makes you unique. And so let's get into that. Here's a couple of points about how to craft a questions-based sales presentation. Number one, you've got to identify who you're, <laughs> who you're targeting. Who is your primary and secondary market? That's going to reflect, you've you got to know that in advance for you to convey value because that value has to align. That value that you offer has got to be something that they find valuable. Otherwise, it isn't value. You're wasting their time and annoying the crap out of mm-hmm. them. And so number one, you've got to assess that. A sales presentation that we make to a homeowner is different than the one we make to a remodeling contractor. They're not completely different because there are a lot of similarities. That's why it's primary and secondary, but they are different. And so I got to know that as I'm crafting this sales presentation. Number two, you've got to not only intuitively know or subjectively know or subconsciously think you know what it is that they value, you have to know what it is that they value in advance. 
What is it that they're looking for? And once you know what they're looking for, obviously, if it's your primary target market, there's got to be an alignment there already that you you have an understanding of what it is that they're looking for. It's just how do you communicate it? So you've got to identify what it is that they value. That could be anything from three to eight differentiating factors, distinct comparisons between you and the rest of the fabricators that they're talking to that you can identify that makes you different. Now, out of eight, maybe four of them are something that their current provider or the other fabricators offer. But the other four are the ones that are going, wow, that is, I hadn't heard that. Or, my gosh, I didn't know anybody did that. Much less, you know, four different differentiating factors. And so you've got to identify what it is that they value first. And then you craft your presentation based on that. I know they value us showing up on time. Well, that's going to be something that makes it into my sales presentation. What's the impact if we show up two days late on a project that's high stakes with a high value client? Yeah, it munches my calendar. It screws everything up. Yeah. When was the last time that happened? Another open-ended question. Oh, gosh, it happened like three weeks ago. What did that end up costing you on the job site? Oh, it was a catastrophe. Delayed everybody. You know, we're pretty unique in the fact that we have a history and a system that makes sure that we show up on. I'm just off the cuff. That is a way of, in that scenario, you ask an open-ended question that allows you to convey. If what you do well is showing up on time every time with 99.8% predictability, and you know that your contractors are looking for that, you could craft an open-ended question. When was the last time your current subcontractor didn't show up on time? Because if you have, the obvious problem they have is, I need countertops, and how I measure that is by price, who I go for. But there's those other problems that either they forgot or they're not fully aware of that that's the problem, like the schedule. Yep. Oh, they didn't show up when they're supposed to. Yeah. Or, oh, they added multiple seams or the layout's terrible or all these other things that mm-hmm. they take for granted and all these other sub-problems that you can solve that they're not aware that they have that problem until it comes up and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, I should have. Next time I'll do this. Well, yeah. And so that's where that open door, if you're if you're thinking through this in advance, if, if you're planning on how do I make the biggest impact on this buyer on this remodeling contractor, on this homeowner, you're thinking through these things in advance to communicate that, that, that impact, that thing that's going to resonate with them to go, Oh my, yeah, that's right. Or I didn't know that. And so you identify what they value, i.e. what you are going to offer them as why they should do business with you. But then you proceed that value proposition with an open-ended question that tees it up. That original question, if it, you know, we teach clients how to, how to select material. We have a, a process, information for homeowners. And then we take them shopping. And so that differentiates us from a lot of fabricators. So how comfortable are you selecting your own material? We already know in advance, most homeowners buying countertops for the first time are nervous about it. They're worried about making the wrong decision, about picking something that doesn't look good or doesn't perform. We already know that. So we've crafted an open-ended question that engages them forces them to, in a sense, focus on something that we already know to be likely to be something they need to think about. And then it opens the door for us to say, well, we've got a very unique process in that we teach our clients how to shop. And then if you'd like, we have staff that can go shopping with you to help make sure that you select a material that works well in your kitchen aesthetically and functionally and and whatnot. So that's that's that two-part component. You ask an open-ended question 
that opens the door to engage them and then explain the value that you provide that you already know they're looking for. Or in some cases, they may not know that they're looking for it, but you know enough about what they value to present it to them. And that becomes this major, gosh, I've talked to three other fabricators and not a single one of them said anything about helping me select my material. I thought I was on my own. Huge impact. But that's different than just an absolute barrage of, of information where in there you go and we help our clients learn how to select material and if you want we'll go shopping with you and then on to the next point and it just gets lost in that mass of information and so you identify your primary and secondary market you and you identify what it is that they value somewhere between three and eight distinct points you get more than that it's going to be hard to they're going to be like i got to get out of here you on mm-hmm. 27 things that differentiate you somewhere between three and eight is enough to really make the point then you craft those questions that precede the value proposition. And when I say craft, I mean you write it down. We have a documented, scripted, written sales presentation that has the eight questions and then the eight responses that we would make, essentially reinforcing those differentiating factors of our company. The eight standards of excellence is what we call it. So I want to just give a couple of examples. Wes, what do you think? Is this is this making sense? I think on one end, it, it 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 makes a lot of sense when you break it down like that. And it's planning ahead to be successful. But a lot of guys, since they have that experience, they'll go in there and they'll wing it and they'll show up and they're solving problems that the customer doesn't even aware is a problem. And so the next guy comes in and presents it and that customer assumes, oh, they all do the same thing. Mm-hmm. They all do this. Well, that's not the case. You know, mm-hmm. they don't, not everyone helps you select your material. If that's one of your strengths, you present mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really understanding what you offer versus what your competition offers. And even if you and your competition offer the same thing, answer the question so it looks like you're solving it. Even mm-hmm. though everyone solves it, they'll remember it as you're the one that solves the problem. They didn't know they had and that you take care of them because you presented a problem that you can solve for them. Like yeah. you have their best interest in heart. Yeah. And and the fact is the three other fabricators that you're competing against might also do the same thing. But if they fail to explain it to mm-hmm. the customer, oh, well, for them, if you're conveying it, they're going to assume you're the only one who does it, which makes you even more distinct and even more unique. And even another reason why they would choose you when push comes to shove decision time gosh, this company does like five things. that, And we talked to these other companies, they don't do any of it. That's typically more retail oriented. Mm-hmm. But the same thing is going to be true no matter who you're targeting because they, they've got needs for their business. They've got needs for what they're trying to accomplish. And if you can communicate how you solve those, how you meet those needs, you just greatly increase the likelihood. So let's do a couple of examples. We've already actually mentioned a couple of them as we've been uh, just talking through this. But I want to give... Two examples, one for retail, one for contractors. This is sort of in line with our business. So I mentioned one already about how comfortable are you selecting your own material. This is a similar question. How comfortable are you managing a small remodeling project? Now, one of the things you got to do when you're asking open-ended questions is you have to bite your lip and not talk after you've asked the question. Even if there's awkward silence as they contemplate this, and if there is, that means they're engaging. Well, they're actually having to process, they're thinking through you ask the question, you do not talk until they've responded. And if there's time, that's a good sign. A great sign. Awkward silence is not a bad thing in a sales scenario. Mm-hmm. So anyway, how comfortable are you managing a small remodeling project? Why do we ask that question? Well, our company knows after years of serving the retail countertop public, 
is part of our primary market currently. It's likely to change here in the short term. But we know that most of those people in that demographic, they're not going out of their way. They're not looking for more work to do. They want a countertop. Most of them don't realize, though, how much work goes into having a countertop replacement done. The plumbing disconnection, the removal and disposal of the countertops, the scheduling, the coordinating, who's calling who, the reconnection after the counters are installed. Well, we know that most people, if they were given a choice, would say, you mean I get to choose? Either I do this myself or you do it? I think I'll choose to have you do it. In many cases, they're willing to, happy to pay more. We already know that, but it's oftentimes not something that they have had enough information or enough experience to ask themselves. And so we would ask that question. So how comfortable are you managing a small remodeling project? What do you mean a remodeling project? Well, you know, getting your countertops, a lot of companies are just quoting you the countertop work. Doesn't necessarily include everything that is necessary to get those countertops installed. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you might want to look at their quote and see if it includes any mention of any of these other aspects of the job. We're unique in that we offer a turnkey process to manage this for you. And then we can go into the, the, the specifics of that or what that means. But we've asked that open-ended question that invites a response. Well, no, I don't want to, what do you mean a remodeling project? Well, actually a countertop replacement is like a small remodeling project. Do you want to go find a plumber? Do you want to go find somebody to tear your countertops out? Do you want to do all the coordination when everybody's pointing fingers at everybody else? Ah, no, no, that sounds horrible. Well, it is. It's pretty common in our industry. That's what makes us unique, Mrs. Jones. We have a turnkey process to manage this for you. So the contrast between the norm that I've established by asking the question, engaging them, and then explaining that we have a solution for their problem, we actually provide something that they value a lot, dramatic impact, huge differentiating factor between us and maybe the next guy that just showed up with a tape measure. So that's a retail homeowner type conversation. Now this one comes today from a conversation I had this morning with our top remodeling contractor client. We've been doing work for them for years. They're our biggest customer. We do probably three to four jobs a month for them. But I went in there, new year. I asked the owner, you know, what are we doing well? What can we do? do what can we be doing better? And we had that conversation. Um, and then he mentioned something to me because we were talking about our retail business. He made a statement to me that I'm still kind of dumbstruck by it. But but I'm going to craft. This is now going to become a new differentiating factor in our business because. It was his words out of his mouth. He said, you know, it's interesting, Aaron. One of the things that we love about your company is the fact that your installers, and he was connecting the dots because we were talking about our business, how most of it's retail. Most of the time we're working in a homeowner's kitchen with the homeowner standing right there looking over our shoulder. He said, we never have to babysit your crews. Your installers are so different from the installers we're used to having on site who are used to doing big jobs, commercial jobs, new construction, remodel, job sites. Then they get into a homeowner's home where the homeowner, she might be home from work that day having tea at the dining room table while the counters are being installed and they're intimidating. They use profane language. They don't present well. We're nervous about having him on the site, so he's reiterating this to me, and I'm like writing this down, I'm like, oh my gosh, I never, I never even connected those two things. So here's an example of how the next contractor I talk to, this is in the going to be in the script. How comfortable are you with your current provider's installers on site with your clients? Or I might ask it like this: How comfortable are most of your clients with the installers that your current fabricator sends on site? I've got a pretty good suspicion that a lot of them are rough characters. 
And that's only one of many differentiating factors, but it's a way for me to ask an open-ended question that gets that, that contractor thinking, you know, I, you never know what you're going to get with that company, to tell you the truth. I'd never really thought about that before. Well, you know, Mr. Jones, owner of this remodeling contractor that I'm hoping to earn your business, we're unique in that the majority of our business is direct-to-consumer retail. So my installation crews every day are working in a client's home with the client right there looking over their shoulder. So we have an entirely different mindset when it comes to being on site. You're never going to have to babysit us. You're never going to have to worry whether we're going to embarrass you on site or not, or whether one of your highly valued clients is going to feel uncomfortable with our installers working on one of your job sites. Open-ended question gets them to think. It jogs the memory. He starts thinking about these instances. Oh, yeah, you know, that last crew that was out there. Cigarettes energy drinks on the, the lady's hutch, you know, right there, t- tatted up one side and down the other, no company uniform, driving some big four by four that's intimidating. It allows you to contrast that open-ended question is crafted in such a way so that you can demonstrate what makes you unique. It's a differentiating factor. It's a value proposition that you make. And by asking that open-ended question with now what I know, I'm going to work on that one a little bit. I, like I said, I just, I just scratched that out here as we were preparing for the podcast. Asking that open-ended question before I convey, as opposed to me just telling him, yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before and your installers are nice and you know, there's no experience for them to connect that to because you haven't asked the question. Because they're looking for reasons to work with you. They're looking for reasons to use you. And if you can do it by presenting in a question, that gives them to engage yep. and they're going to like the answer because you're solving a problem that they may or may not know they had yep. and they're going to be like, you know, as I'm looking through these two they narrow it down to a few quotes. They're like, all of a sudden, the stack of favorable things in your column yep. is considerably higher than, than the competition. Yeah, and that's going to stack up two different ways. If your prices are the same, mm-hmm. why wouldn't they hire you? Yeah. So that's number one. If all things being equal, you're going to earn that business. High, high likelihood that they're going to say, gosh, like the price is the same, the material is the same. And with this company, I get these four Things that would really have a positive impact on our business, wow, fantastic. Or four things that would really impact our experience when we have these countertops replaced. So that's one aspect of The other aspect of it is if it's valuable enough, which is the case with this provider I'm referring to, they he told me, I don't know, probably a year ago when we met, that they were paying us more than they had ever paid a fabricator before. And it's not exorbitantly more. It's not you know ridiculous, but it's more. Because of what we do, they find it so useful and helpful to their business because we've built a business that caters to them. We provide what they value. And they're willing. So, in some cases, not only is it just earning the business, it allows you to charge more because it's in their best interest to have that service or to have that experience. It, it, It works to their benefit. And so, years ago, I was actually out doing a template and I always like to ask, Oh, how'd you hear about us? Just to conversation going as I'm setting up and the lady said that she actually the week before had a schedule for another competition or a competitor to come out and measure and the day before they were scheduled to come up she's like you know I should do a quick research just to see what else is out there um, she found a video on how how we do seams how we do them that hmm. we had on YouTube anyways she called and they walked her through of how we do seams and how we really try to make them the best yep and she was willing to pay $1,000 more after she had that conversation. They asked her, like, well, why did you call us? You know, what's your fears? And she was worried about having a bad seam now because of 
these ideas. So, and yeah. that's one of our eight standards of excellence is our milled seams. We do them on the CNC. We have a sample that we show people, and we ask them, how many, how many granite, I think it's, how many granite and quartz seams have you seen? And then we'll have a follow-up question. What's your impression of those been? And sometimes they'll say, well, I think they're okay. Or sometimes they'll say, you know, to come to think of it, I've never really paid that much attention. But the fact that we've asked that question, now it's elevated in their mind like, this probably is an important question if they're asking me about it. Okay, I'm listening. Well, there is a difference in seam quality in our industry. And then that gives us the open door to explain our standard, one of the standards of excellence. And so it differentiates us and it creates that sense of security that, okay, with everybody else, it's, a, it's an open, it, it, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to get with you. You've asked me this question and you've explained to me what I'm going to get. Yeah, for that certainty, that peace of mind, that likelihood of a better finished product, I'll spend a little bit more money. Yeah, so to that point, talking about our sales presentation, you know, I'll oftentimes offer just content. I'll offer resources that we've used in our own business in the interest of just continuing to develop um, the podcast and make good information available to our audience. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are like the company I mentioned at the beginning of the episode who would like to see what a an eight-point questions-based sales presentation looks like, feel free to visit AaronCrowley.com. You'll see the connect button underneath me on that glorious webpage. Hit the email Aaron button. It's a form. You just fill that out, send me a message, and I will happily send you. It's a Word document with the eight questions and the eight scripted responses for our eight standards of excellence. It'd give you a good idea of what a sales presentation can look like. And obviously, you'd want to, you know, if you only had five things, you'd only have five things, and you would change the questions to, you know, to align with the value propositions that you have for your primary or secondary clientele or customer or market. So, ladies and gentlemen, just know that we're here to provide content, to provide value, to uh, to share anything we can possibly share that will help you run your stone shop better. So ladies and gentlemen, make sure that you visit AaronCrowley.com. Make sure that you support our sponsors, this week's sponsor being the Stone Fabricators Alliance. And make sure you check back next week for the latest episode of the Fab Lab Podcast. Until then, happy fabricating.